Good morning, everyone. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61. No, Isaiah 61. So the book of Isaiah was written before the Jewish people were taken into captivity by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Isaiah the prophet's ministry lasted from 740 B.C. to after 701 B.C. So in the first 39 chapters of the book of Isaiah, the prophet warns the Jewish people of the judgment that is to come upon them because of their idolatry, rebellion, and sin. The northern kingdom will be conquered and taken captive by the Assyrians, and Judah, the southern kingdom, will be conquered and taken captive by the Babylonians. The last 26 chapters of the book of Isaiah, chapters 40 through 66, has a much different theme. It is a theme about hope, restoration, and joy for the Jewish people who will one day return out of that captivity and be brought back to their homeland. Isaiah also promises a chosen servant, the anointed one, the Messiah, who will one day come and deliver God's people from their slavery, and the Messiah will give them ultimate freedom. It will be the year of the Lord's favor. Isaiah 42.1 speaks of this chosen servant in whom the Lord delights, who will bring justice to the nations. This same servant in Isaiah 49 will become a light to the Gentiles. In Isaiah 53, this suffering servant will pour out his soul and bear the iniquity of his people. Isaiah 54 and 55 paints a picture of a new covenant that Messiah will establish between the Lord and his people. Then we come to our text for today, Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61 is one of the ch these chapters of hope, restoration, and joy. In Isaiah 61, we learn more about this servant, this Savior, this Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. We hear about the mission of Messiah. You could say this is his mission statement, his purpose of coming, or even the Messiah's manifesto. So let's read Isaiah chapter 61. So we'll read uh, all of Isaiah 61 just so we can see what's going over it, but we'll only probably get through verse 3 today. So Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priest of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. 
He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Okay, now turn in the New Testament, turn to Luke chapter 4. So in Luke chapter 4, we'll start in verse 16. All right, Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was written, I'm sorry, was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Guess where he went? Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all of the eyes... And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All right, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we, we worship you, Lord. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for our Messiah, Lord, who, who has come to give us freedom, who has come to save us from sin and death, to, has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, uh, to give us uh, uh, priestly garments, Lord, that we may uh, be priests and kings, that we would be able to proclaim your good news throughout the world, Lord. I just pray that you will be with us as we we uh, open up your text and study more about it, Lord. I pray that you'll open hearts and minds uh, to your truth. I pray all these things in his name. Amen. So we see this in, in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus himself stands in the, t- in the synagogue and says, today this has been fulfilled in your in your hearing. So, so we know that this Messiah is Jesus Christ. So Isaiah 61.1, it says, The spirit of Adonai Yahweh is upon me, or the Lord God. So the ESV does kind of a poor job of translating the word God there. It should actually be Yahweh. Um, so it should be Lord in all capital letters. But it says, The spirit of, of Adonai Yahweh is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. The spirit of the Lord God is clearly speaking of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon our Lord Jesus Christ, and he has anointed Christ for his work to accomplish all of the Father's will. Throughout the Old Testament, we see the Holy Spirit anointing men for their specific purpose to carry out the will of God. So you have men such as Bezalel, I'm sorry, Bezalel and Aholiab, who were called by God to help build the tabernacle, the tent of meeting after the Exodus. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship to build the tent of meeting, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, um, and uh, the furniture of the tabernacle. So you have other men also, such as Joshua, Gideon, and Samson, who were filled with the Holy Spirit. You have men who were kings who were filled with the Spirit of God, such as Saul and David. And you also have prophets such as Elijah and Elijah, who were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at Jesus and how the Spirit has affected his life and mission. First, we look to the prophet in Isaiah chapter 11. We turn to Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 5. 
So Isaiah says, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but but with righteousness he will judge the poor. And decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. All, also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his wrist. And then flipping over to Isaiah 42, 1, it also speaks of the Messiah. It says, Behold my servant whom I upheld, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring justice, forth justice to the nations. So notice some of the same things that the Messiah will do after having the spirit upon him. He will have wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, counsel, and strength. He will bring justice, righteousness, and faithfulness. Now let's look at times in Jesus' ministry in the New Testament when the spirit would affect his life. What happened at Jesus' incarnation? Or what happened when Jesus took on human flesh and became a man? Uh, for those of, the, uh, those of you who don't know what incarnation means, this, uh, this analogy kind of helps me remember it a little bit. So if you're a Mexican food connoisseur such as myself, if you've ever had enchiladas, uh, con carne, that means with meat, right? So chili with meat. So incarnation, you can think of that. So with or in, in the flesh, basically. So Jesus in the flesh. So that, that's... It's always how I, it helped me remember what incarnation meant. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, what happened when Jesus became a man? How did he become a man? Anyone? How did he become a man? So he, that's right, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit in, in the Virgin Mary. That's right. So turn to Luke chapter 1. All right, Luke. Uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 30. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I am a virgin, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of of Mary. So what do you think about next in the life of Jesus? What happens happens next? What's one major key thing that happens? So, So the baptism, right? His baptism. So... Turn to the account of Jesus' baptism in Matthew. So Matthew chapter 3. So Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So as soon as he was baptized, the Spirit of the Lord came down upon him. 
So, uh, so what happens next in his ministry? Immediately after he is baptized, well, preaching, but what happened before that? That's right. So immediately the Spirit, uh, I think in Mark it says the Spirit forced, it says like the Greek term is like it forced Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. But uh, we have Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus as a man overcame the temptation by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the word of God. So then Jesus begins his ministry by being in the power of the Spirit and all throughout his ministry as he is working miracles, preaching, proclaiming the gospel, and doing many signs. Um, And it was all done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then we see the work on the cross. We see his resurrection, his ascension, and his exaltation. He, so all done by the Holy Spirit. So he is the only man who could ever fully embody the full working power of the Holy Spirit. And right now, as Jesus is ruling and reigning as both God and man, he is still empowered by that same Spirit. But he says he must go away so that way the Spirit could come, right? So, so now the Holy Spirit has come with power upon the bride of Christ. That same Spirit that is upon Christ lives inside of us. So turn in Acts, or I'll just read it, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, now back to Isaiah 61. So the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. So the word anoint literally means to rub with oil. Biblically speaking, it means to consecrate or make holy, dedicated to God for service. The anointing of priests in the Old Testament was first described in the book of Exodus. So turn with me to Exodus 29. We'll read nine verses in Exodus. Sorry, there's a lot of, a lot of turning we'll be doing today. So. so we will see how um, the priests in the Old Covenant, were anointed for the work of the ministry. So Exodus 29, starting in verse 1. Now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour, You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod and the ephod and the breastpiece and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And you shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them, and you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them, and the priesthood shall be theirs, a statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So during this anointing oil, the oil was actually poured over their heads. It was more than just a few drops being, being splashed on top of the head, but it, it was basically covering their whole head. And in Psalm 133, it paints a picture of this oil being poured down their head. It says it was running down the beard, down the beard of Aaron. So that's how much oil was put on them. So the Hebrew word for anoint is Mashah. This is where the word Messiah comes from. Messiah means anointed. And also the Greek word Christos, it also means anointed. 
That is where the word Christ comes from. So the Messiah comes into the world and is anointed by the Holy Spirit and with the oil of joy or gladness, as it says in Hebrews. He is anointed by the Spirit of God for his work as prophet, priest, and king. He is set apart to do the work his father has given him to do. Now, these next few verses are about the Messiah and his mission. What he will do, we will call this uh, the mission of Jesus or Jesus's manifesto. So the first part of the mission of the Messiah is to proclaim the good news to the poor. Jesus has been anointed to preach the good news. What does it mean to proclaim good news? Obviously, he's speaking of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news of of us as sinners being reconciled to a holy God by King Jesus. It's about his work on the cross. So we were sinners. We deserved death or the wrath of God. But Jesus Christ became a man for us. He took on human flesh, lived the perfect life we could never live. He went to the cross. He took the wrath of God on our behalf, taking our sins upon him, giving us his righteousness, and taking the wrath that we deserve. And then he died. Um, he defeated sin and death and rose from the grave and then ascended into heaven right now where he's ruling and reigning as the king of kings and lord of lords. And one day he will return to judge all of mankind. So this truly is the good news. If, if you do not know this Jesus, if, if you have not put your trust in him, what are you waiting for? Turn to him and be saved. Repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what Jesus was doing. He was to proclaim the good news to the poor. So in... in, in uh, we're still in verse 1. So the poor, who, who are the poor that he's speaking of here in verse 1? So the word poor is actually speaking of the afflicted or the poor in spirit, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. Someone who is poor in spirit is someone who is broken over their sin, someone who is hurting and realizes they are indeed need of a Savior. All right, back to verse 1. He has sent me. So this term, he has sent me, appears throughout all four Gospels of the New Testament. This was the purpose of Jesus. He was sent by the Father to do the will of God. So turn to Luke chapter 4. And then we'll go to the Gospel of John. Because the Gospel of John is literally on every page. Like, he has sent me. I have been sent. So let's, let's turn to Luke chapter 4 first. So Luke four forty three. Luke 4, I'm sorry, Luke 4, 43, yeah. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And then John four thirty four. 34. Y'all, y'all don't have to turn to all these, but there's a lot here. So Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and, and to accomplish his work. Truly, truly, I say to you, John five twenty four. truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. John 5.30, I can do nothing of my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6.38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then one other verse in the New Testament, Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under that law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
So Jesus was sent by the Father to do his will, and Jesus lived perfectly up to that standard in which the Father can say, this is my Son of whom I am well pleased. So this phrase, he has sent me, also testifies of the preexistence of Jesus. So think about it. Jeremiah, who, who was a prophet, he was called in his mother's womb. Uh, but notice where Jesus was sent from. It says, Jesus came down from heaven to do the will of the one who sent him. No other prophet came from heaven. Only Jesus, the eternal Son of God, came down from heaven. All right, back to uh, verse 1. He has sent me to bind the brokenhearted. To bind the brokenhearted basically means to heal our broken hearts. We were lost and hurting. We were those who had no hope, as it says in Ephesians. But this is what we, we have in Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That's Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. This is Jesus in his priestly work as our great shepherd. He is our great high priest and our comforter. He heals our wounds, our spiritual wounds, our shame, our burdens, and our sorrow. Uh, turn to Hebrews 4, 14. And this is, this is talking about our great high priest, Jesus. Hebrews 4.14. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in the help. I'm sorry, find grace to help in time of need. So when you are hurting, when you are ashamed by your sin, when you are downcast or brokenhearted, beloved, draw near to the throne of grace. Christ Jesus is always there to make intercession for you. Look unto him, cast your burdens upon him. Jesus said, come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, back to Isaiah, still in verse 1. What was the Messiah sent to do? He, he was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. There are two things to think of here. He will proclaim liberty to the captives, and he will set free those who are bound, those who are in prison, those who are bound by their shame, by their sin. Um, to proclaim liberty to the captives. So if you, were, if you lived uh, in Israel under the Old Covenant, this phrase, to proclaim liberty of the captives, would make you think about something. What does this term, proclaim liberty to the captives, where does it come from? It points to the seven-year Sabbath. Not only were the Israelites to keep weekly Sabbath, but every seven years they were to observe the Sabbath to the Lord. The land was to receive rest so that they were not to grow crops on the land for a year. But also, if Israel had, if they had brothers or sisters who were their slaves, they were set free, they, would, they were to set them free, sorry. These slaves or bondservants were Jewish people who had incurred a financial debt, a debt that couldn't be repaid. Since they couldn't pay the debt, they would become a bondservant of the person they owed a debt to. This was supposed to be for seven years. And on the seventh year, the captives were to be set free and their debts were to be forgiven. So this is a shadow of what Christ does for his people, his bride, his church. He takes us who are in bondage to sin, in bondage to death, and in bondage to Satan, and he sets us free of our, and pays our debts. We were captives to all of these things, but Christ proclaims liberty to the captives and sets us free. John eight thirty six says, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Not only does Jesus set us free, 
but then he adopts us as his own children. Okay, verse 2, finally getting there. Verse number 2 here, it says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What does the, the year of the Lord's favor mean? This is also a, a look back to what the Israelites uh, were to do. So under the old covenant, the Israelites had, as, I'm sorry, as we, under the old covenant, the Israelites had, as we already said, they were to keep the Sabbath. But not only the weekly Sabbath, they were also to keep the seven-year Sabbath. Then they were to keep and celebrate a 50-year Sabbath. It's called the year of Jubilee. So turn uh, in your Bibles to Leviticus 25. Leviticus 25, starting in verse 8. So the whole chapter of 25 talks about these Sabbaths, but we're just going to read verses 8 through 12. So you shall count seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the time of seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years. Then you shall sound the loud trumpet on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. That 50th year shall be a jubilee for you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of itself, nor gather grapes from the undressed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You may eat the produce of the field. So after these 50 years, all of the people um, who were in captivity were to be set at liberty. They were, they were to be free, and even if they had debts and they had land that was turned over to, to their slaves, they actually got that land back um, during that jubilee celebration. So that's what was supposed to happen. So God's chosen people of the old um, were supposed to celebrate and obey this 50-year Sabbath. And again, it was called the year of jubilee. It was a glorious year of resting, trusting, and obeying the Lord. It was a great year of celebration, a year to proclaim liberty throughout the land to all of its inhabitants. There is some debate on whether Israel actually ever obeyed this command. Whether, whether they actually even celebrated the year of Jubilee in, in our Bible, we don't have any record of it showing. And actually throughout history, we don't really see any record of them ever celebrating the year of Jubilee. But, but with Jesus, the Messiah, he shows up, as we saw in Luke 4, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He stands up in the synagogue in Nazareth and says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Messiah has come. He has come to free the captives. He sets us Sets us free, redeems us by his blood, and adopts us as his own sons and daughters. He makes us heirs of God. We are living in that jubilee right now. This is the perpetual year of the Lord's favor. And it does not end until our Lord returns. Christ is building his kingdom currently. We are now adopted children who have been set free from captivity. All right, back to verse 2. And he is to proclaim the day of the vengeance of our God. So note that when Jesus stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth to read the scroll of Isaiah, Luke does not record that Jesus actually read this part of the scripture, the day of the vengeance of our God. So when Christ came down from heaven during his first advent, he didn't come with vengeance. His mission as part of his earthly ministry was to do many things, but he did not take vengeance on those who were here on the earth at that time. Although we get a glimpse of his righteous anger when, we, when he clears the temple um, of the money changers with whips, 
However, he doesn't take ven- he doesn't take vengeance on anybody at that time. But shortly after his um, ascension into heaven, he returned. Forty years later, in seventy A.D., he destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple there in Jerusalem. But for us, one day he will return to judge the world. Those who have not believed in Jesus, those who die in their sins, will receive the fury of the wrath of God, full force. It will be a day of vengeance. He will cast them into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. It will be a place of torment, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. This place where God will pour out his wrath for day and night for all of eternity. So if you do not know Christ, flee to him. He is your only hope. Okay, back to verse 2. He's, he's come to comfort all who mourn. Jesus, as our great high priest, is our comforter. So in Revelation 21, speaking of the new heavens and the new earth, Jesus says that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. But even now, as we live here on earth, Jesus is still a comfort to those who mourn. He has not taken away our mourning yet, but he is a comfort to us when we are mourning. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We have a great high priest who can sympathize with us. As a man, he knows that what it feels like to lose someone. He wept when his good friend Lazarus died. He can empathize with us because he understands what it is to suffer and to mourn. He can and does comfort us. He is the God of all comfort. 2 Corinthians 1.5 says, and I think Justin Peter shared this verse last week with us, For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in, in comfort too. So if you are hurting, if you are mourning, if you are feeling shame for your sin, look unto Jesus, our great high priest, and he will give you comfort. All right, moving along. Now we're in verse 3 of Isaiah 61. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. When the people of Israel would be in mourning, either over their sin or, or the death of a loved one, they would cast and cover their head with ashes and, put, and clothe themselves in sackcloth. And they would cry out to the Lord, either in repentance or in mourning. So the people of Nineveh, after Jonah had warned them to repent, they did this as a sign of repentance in hopes that God would, would not wipe out their city. Job sat in ashes as he was mourning the loss of everything, his health, his wealth, his family, everything. Joshua tore his clothes and covered himself in ashes as the sin of his people and in ho- at the sin of his people and in hopes that God would save them from their idolatry and deliver them from the hands of the Amalekites. When Joshua was in ashes and sackcloth the Lord told him to get up to consecrate himself and to consecrate the people to repent and to destroy their idols that they may live. Jesus himself picks us up. He gives us a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, garments of praise instead of a faint spirit. He clothes us in his beautiful robes of righteousness, and he himself consecrates us for the work of the ministry. He makes us a royal priesthood. He is our atonement and our righteousness. He will clothe us in that righteousness and set us apart for the work of the ministry of reconciliation. We are all priests And we are all called to proclaim the excellencies of our God and King Jesus. Peter says in 2 Peter 2, 
You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And why does he do this? What are we to do? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are to proclaim Christ with our words. But not only with our words, but we also are to proclaim Christ by our deeds. We must live as a holy nation, a nation set apart for the work of the ministry. We must show our love for Christ by loving others. In verse 3, towards the end, the text says that we are to be called oaks of righteousness. When you think of an old oak tree, what do you think of? Right? It's a huge tree. It's a very large tree. It has big roots that go deep into the ground. Roots that are so strong that it cannot be moved. This is what it is like to be made a part of the bride of Christ. We are a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our Lord Jesus Christ holds us. He, he, he grounds us in his roots. right? So, and then it says in verse 3, it's the planting of the Lord. Our God has done this. So we are those oaks of righteousness. We, we who are planted by the Lord, salvation is a gift. God is the one who saves us. Jesus and, and Jesus alone is the only way to be saved. It is not our doing. It is a gift of God. And why does the Messiah do all of this? Verse 3 says, very end of verse 3, that he may be glorified. Everything that Jesus did was to give glory to the Father, that he too would be glorified. All right, so this will be all the time that we have today to look at Isaiah 61. I would like to encourage you guys to, to study that more in depth. It's, it's a wonderful, beautiful chapter. I had a great time of studying it. So, um, this, so this mission statement that we have in Isaiah 61, in closing, Jesus' mission statement, it says, um, this is his manifesto, if you will, his purpose of coming to earth as a man. He came to proclaim the good news to the poor. He came to bind the brokenhearted. He came to proclaim liberty to those who are in prison and despair and of bondage of sin. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This jubilee we are in right now. Let us celebrate that, that wonderful news that we are in this wonderful uh, year of jubilee. We have been anointed by the Holy Spirit and by Jesus himself with the oil of gladness or the oil of joy. This joy should be running down our faces just like the oil was running down the, the beard of Aaron. Our joy should be fully set when, uh, upon him, even when we are suffering. Finally, we, um, as a kingdom of priests and kings, we should have the fullness of the Spirit to proclaim Christ's excellencies everywhere we go. But for those of you who have not been anointed with the oil of gladness, those of you who are still in bondage in your sin and your shame and your burdens, turn from your sin and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on him. Trust in him, and he will turn your mourning into joy, your ashes into beauty, and he will make you a part of this wonderful kingdom, a kingdom that will not be shaken, a kingdom of priests and kings, that we may glorify the Lord in everything that we do. Turn to him today and be saved if you have not. Let's pray. Father, we, we, we love you, Lord. We just praise your holy name. You are holy. Lord, we thank you for our wonderful Messiah, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and what he has come to do, Lord, the, the mission that you gave him, that he came and he did for us. Lord, we thank you that we have life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I just pray that we will think upon these things, that you have made us priests and kings, and that that is our job, Lord. We are to go to proclaim your good news, to, to show those who are captive, Lord, to 
that they need Jesus and that he can set them free of their sin and their shame. Lord, I just uh, pray that uh, for those who don't know you, Lord, that they will turn to you and be saved. Lord, I pray all of these things in his name. Amen.